Hey boys and girls, welcome back to On The Bat Bar Podcast. I am of course your host, Christopher Manning. Um, less talking from me today, I'm going to jump straight into this episode with the very talented Sean Saul. So glad to have him as a guest on my show. Um, I recently was on his because he hosts the Post Shift Podcast, uh, which is an amazing semi-weekly uh, show, which takes a look into the eyes of hospitality uh, members around the world. Um, he is a very talented guy. He has so many side hustles within the food and drink scene, uh, a lot of it helping his own community in Victoria, um, in Canada. I, I think Sean's an amazing guy and there is so much we can learn from him, um, particularly in regards to starting your own business and being what is a hospitality entrepreneur. Um, Sean, mate, thanks once again for coming on the show. Uh, for all the listeners, I hope you really enjoy it and learn something from this. As always, please subscribe, like, share, and also please head over to my Patreon account where you can join me and a small community of people to help my show grow and have some benefits and perks from me, such as asking your own questions on the show if someone is coming up on the guest. Uh, And you also get access to things like uh, cocktail books that I've written, um, e-books I should mention, um, and other really cool content um, just to help my show grow and become more popular and for you to be part of the community. Okay, let's jump straight into this uh, with Sean Saul on the Bat Bar Podcast. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. Right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much again for joining me on The Bag Bar. And today we have Sean Saul. Uh, Sean, mate, so good to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thanks very much for having me, Chris. Uh, it's uh, It's been good. It's been a good week. It's been an interesting start to 2021, I think, for everybody, um, especially here in North America. But uh, no, I'm, I'm positive. I think 2020 was sort of a nice little deviation i suppose from regular life and so you have to sort of be on you think on your feet but yeah it's, it's been good 2021 is going to be great great now i think most people know you from your podcast and uh, it's quite nice for me because i was on your show recently and now i'm the one asking the questions <laughs> so i feel much more comfortable um how are you with uh, do you do this often like do you find it's it's different in the other seat um it doesn't happen very often like i think you will be I, you still will not be my up to my 10th interview that has interviewed me. So like I've for a couple of podcasts I've done, I did one earlier this week and I've done a few radio shows and stuff, but like as an interview, it doesn't happen very often. I don't know why. Like I've got mates who have podcasts. I'm like, I interviewed you, dude. Like, why aren't you interviewing me? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And uh, for the listeners who who maybe don't know, um, you should, you host uh, the post shift podcast is a semi-weekly hospitality podcast you've had a, a huge range of guests right i mean you must be up to 250 episodes right getting close i'm at 224 now as of next week so i've taped my 224th show next week um it, it's been it's been kind of crazy interesting because i was when i started it i didn't really know why i started it there was not really a, a end game for it it was more of a cathartic sort of tell my story sort of deal um and then slowly but surely, like, lucky enough, I was at, like, San Antonio Cocktail Conference, like, three weeks after I started. So I interviewed a whole bunch of people there and got some really good friends and faces um, on the podcast really early on. And then bit by bit, it just sort of built and built. And then my 100th episode popped up and that I asked Jeff Mungadala to be on that episode. I had a grad chat with him. He's a really good old friend. Um, and then my 200th episode rolled up and that was Dale Groff. And, yeah, it's been... Surreal, because I, I laugh because I still I came to Canada when I was 26, so 14 years ago now, um, and I was still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed then. And so when I get to talk to these people and hang out with these people, I'm still 
like when I go to BCB and shows and stuff, I still fanboy out because, you know, <laughs> I'm still that 26 year old kid who, who got off the plane super green in Victoria, BC. And now I got a opportunity to like hang out with Jeff Morgenthaler or be able to like on a regular basis text and call Philip Duff or before he passed away, like Gaz Reagan and I would chat every now and then, you know? So like it's, I still fanboy out pretty hard. I'm still pretty grateful and still like giddy. I interviewed um, Julie Reiner a few months ago and that one was an intimidating one. Cause I've met Julie a couple of times. We've done a few events and stuff, but it's never been like a regular conversation communication. And I was fully nervous to interview her first thing in the morning. <laughs> like, so even after 200 something episodes, I still get nervous as hell. I, I'm exactly the same. There are some people I'm just like, oh my God, this is like, so <laughs> this is big. I need to be like top game here. And then when you talk to them, I don't know if you find, I always find it's just so casual and so yeah. relaxed. And yeah, like, like you mentioned, like being able to talk to like Philly Dove, you make so many great friends connections. And I, I think that's what's also great about hospitality, but you know, you're not um, just known for your post shift podcast. There's quite a lot of things. And uh, we actually discussed about this the other day, uh, the title because like like uh, like you, I wear many hats as well. And I, I said, like, what do you call yourself? And uh, it was a hospitality entrepreneur, right? Yeah. This is it. And I think what's also um, great because there there really is so much you do. Um, and as as also, you're not just a cocktail guy. You make cocktails, and you've been doing it for a long time. But now, like your your sort of basis covers so many different aspects of hospitality big on education, big on video marketing. Uh, I'd really love to hear all about this, but let's go into your origin story and let's hear about how you really got into the bar trade. Um, I left home under rough circumstances when I was about 17 years old and I got a job and this is back in like the day where you literally could go through, you have to go to get the paper and circle like a la stereotype movie style, like folded paper circling jobs and stuff. And I got an interview at a hotel and I was about 18 years old, um, and I got an interview at a hotel as the junior handyman. So basically the dude that was changing toilet paper, helping housekeeping, like raking leaves in the garden, that sort of easy, easy stuff. And um, one night the food and beverage director comes in and he's like freaking out. He's like, I had two staff call and sick. Do you want to work? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll work. He's like, do you have black and whites? And so I had to rush home. And I never used to work nights or anything. So like, this was really, I remember this very vividly. Like I remember I rushed home and on the way back into the town, it was dark. And I'm like, this is really weird going to work at nighttime because I'd be up at 6am in the morning, be at site by the hotel by seven. Um, and I worked at that wedding and it was just something clicked in me. And I'd never been in this sort of realm of food and beverage. Like my mom, I'm the oldest of six. My mom wasn't a great cook. She had to cook for six six kids and we're all 18 months apart. So five boys, one girl, 18 months apart. There was always one of us was going into puberty. One was in the middle of puberty and one was at the end of puberty and the food in the house just didn't last very long. So there wasn't a lot of effort put into the food. It was literally just sustenance for the, the horde of people that were in my house. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this was really interesting because I was like, I make people like smile and they're enjoying food and they're enjoying drink. And I, I didn't really wrap my head around it, but then it sort of clicked and I started doing more, picked up my first cocktail book, which I still have in my collection. I have my very first cocktail book. I've doodled all through it. Um, and then bit by bit, I sort of just picked up more and more and more and just applied for new jobs and then sort of spread into food and beverage. And uh, there's just something pure, I think, about bartending and serving and being in that, in that moment when you give someone a good experience that uh, is sort of like a drug. And you kind of always need it. Like when you finish your shift, you're like, oh, done. And then you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh, now I really want that again. Especially when you're younger, like you really want that sort of party atmosphere. People are happy. People are drinking. People are being merry. And it's like the biggest high you're ever going to have in your life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree, especially working in, in sort of the larger hotels, boutique hotels. When you have a good service, there's nothing like it. When everything <laughs> goes to plan, the customers are happy. Yeah, it's it's good. It's very good. <laughs> but these days you do uh, obviously a lot more, um, especially about like, let, let's go into sort hospitality concepts because I guess that's uh, the overarching theme of what you do. And when did that start? What what point of your career were you thinking, okay, I think I need to step this up? So I actually haven't told the story before. This is funny. 
Um, so in when I came to Canada in 2006, um, I, I got work at a hotel, uh, not sorry, a hotel, a nice little restaurant, a little franchise restaurant. It was great. Um, had a really great time with it. Um, but there was something that just kept pushing me to like go better. And I think six months after I got here, I flew to New York. Um, I started writing about that time. So I started writing articles and for online publications. Um, and a new magazine came to me and they're like, we'd love to publish some of your stuff. Like, would you like to come on board as a, like a associate? And I'm like, cool, cool. And I was like 26, 27. So I was still very young in comparison to now. And so I flew to New York, had an amazing time in New York. I went to Milk and Honey when Sam Ross was just sort of tweaking the penicillin and stuff. Like really just like next level eye-opening stuff, yeah. especially coming from Australia, which is already amazing. But then being in Victoria, then going to New York of all places. Um, and when I got back, around about 2007, 2008, I started a company called the Liquid Revolution. And the Liquid Revolution was, in essence, my consulting and stuff like that. But I also created a muddler and like a, a created muddler. And I had um, it manufactured in China, 10,000 units, so, and then would sit up every night till four in the morning after finishing work and writing articles and everything for chilled, would literally Google bar store in Germany, bar store in Russia, bar store in Italy, bar store in France. And then like you, you still go to my Gmail now and it's sales at info at, <laughs> and it's like all these different, different bar stores that I hit up over the years. Um, and it was quite well, like I had a little, a little warehouse in, in London. I had a warehouse in Hong Kong and I had a warehouse in New York. So I could sort of ship it everywhere. And that was sort of, the beginning of what I suppose SAT sort of came into. And then over the years, it's had from 2007, 2008, it's had sort of a, a transition over from Liquid Revolution to Chancel Consulting to S Squared for a while there. And then the last couple of years, it sort of like sat down on Sewell Hospitality Concepts, which it's sort of an overarching, like you said, an overarching macro on all my little side hustles because SHC is my baby. That's my consulting, spirit development, training, education, all that sort of stuff. But it overarches all my other endeavors. Brilliant, man. And, um, you know, as we mentioned in my podcast, like, I, I just love to create and I'm, I'm constantly looking for, like, as you said, side hustles. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that drives me forward. But what about you? When did that first sort of peak, uh, that sort of, that want to create a side hustle? I think it comes from my dad. My dad uh, was ex-military, ex-VK military, um, met my mum, uh, and he worked for everybody all the time. Like, he always had a job, and then he was just done with dealing with his, He was a truck driver by trade, I suppose, um, and he was just done with it. And he's like, I remember when I was about 10 or 11, he's like, I want to start my own business. I want to start a hauling company, and we'll tag on uh, landscaping, which is something we were working on as well. So I started working full-time when I was 13 with my family business. And my dad was a ridiculously hard worker, and he still is. Um, but you like my life growing up in high school was 5 a.m. in the morning, wake up. You do your chores around the farm because we lived on a little farm. You'd go to the, far, the, the turf farm or the sod. You'd load up a truck. The truck dad would drive the truck downtown. You would jump in the car with mum. She'd take you to school. You'd go to school for six hours. You'd come back. You'd jump back into your overall, your coveralls. Go do another load of turf onto the back of the truck. But then this time you'd jump on the back of the truck with dad. Drive down to the town again, which is about an hour and a half drive. Do your homework in the car, in the truck. Unload and then drive back. And you get home about 10, 30, 11 o'clock every night. And then you do the same thing every day. And then on the weekends, we wow. landscape yards, multiple yards on a weekend. And so again, 5 a.m., straight through to sometimes 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. We, I've done landscaping and planting trees and laying sod by headlights from a truck. And so like dad would park, mum would park, and my, me and my brothers, I was 13, my younger brother was 11, and my youngest brother was seven when he started working with us. And so I, I think that it's always been in my DNA per se to work for myself. Um, but yeah, I worked that job until I was at the end of high school. And so for mm. four or five years, I was juggling 40 hours a week at, at work and 30 hours a week at school. And that was pretty much my life for 13 through to 17. Wow. So it was really built in at an early age, right? It sounds quite regimented too. 
<laughs> being being an ex-military father, he did not uh, right. lack in the uh, <laughs> lack in that in that department. It was always if you were sore, if you were hurt, if you were tired, you can always push another hour. You know, you can always just mm. get it done. Like, you know, you can always get it done. We used to have a crane on the back of the truck, and this is how crazy this my old man was. Like, we have a crane to unload turf, but his thoughts why we didn't use the crane as much was that. We had eight pallets of turf on the back of the truck. He's like, well, by the time I unfold the crane, you would have had two pallets of turf unloaded. And by the time I fold the crane back up, you would have had another two turf, two pallets of turf unloaded. So I'm really only unpacking the, the crane for half the load. So you guys may as well do the whole thing. And that was legit. His, his thought process was that you've already done 50% of the work by the time I unload this thing that would make everybody's life easier. So I may as well not bother and you guys can just bang it out. And that literally was his work ethic was <laughs> if you can do it faster without using something that's easier, you probably should just do it the faster way. Right. Do you still have that? Um, that do you use that logic in what you do now? Um, I, I suppose I do to a degree. Like when I talk to young bartenders and especially ones that get into management or uh, a manager who's been hired to open a new venue and stuff, I still use that sort of mentality and, working hard and, and work, being aware of your own self-awareness for hustle and stuff like that um, is difficult because it is very personal. And so I always say like, do you want to work, do you want to get everything you want to get done when you open up a new restaurant in the first three to six months? And they're like, yeah. I was like, okay, well you're going to work 80 hours a week. You know, like you're going to work 60 to 80 hours a week, get it done. Just pull the bandaid off and get it done. Or, you can have a little, if it's up to you, if you can have a little balance, you're going to work 40 hours a week, great. But you understand that this process is going to take you 12 months to dial in. You know, like your, your staffing, your education, your training, all this sort of stuff is going to take a lot longer to dial in. So which would you prefer? Like just grinding out and just being exhausted, like when you finish up work every day and getting it done in three to six months so you can go or like have that work-life balance, which is horrible for me to say, but that work-life balance and it take 12 months. Like work-life balance, I've I've talked about, and some people think I'm crazy about, but yeah, I think I still have that sort of mentality that my dad sort of put into me is that, you know, like there's always there's always a chance that something's going to go horribly wrong at any given time, I suppose. Mm -hmm. True. So, I mean, I completely agree. Before we go into um, maybe sort of the setups of some of these uh, businesses you have, could you break down each sort of arm of uh, the hospitality concepts? Yeah, of course. Um, it, it came about because I constantly looking for deficiencies in the industry. So these are the sort of things that sort of come up. So um, the first one was uh, Human Construct, which is my branding and creative house. We do branding, logo design, um, all the accoutrements for distilleries, uh, restaurants, bars, menus, business cards, websites, the whole shebang. Um, that came about because in the last six, 12 months, um, our distillery industry in BC has really blown up. Like it's gone really big. Um, we've gone from five years ago, 30 distilleries to almost 80 now. So huge explosion. And I've seen a lot of creative houses hit the market thinking that they can tap into this, this craft distillery market the same way they've tapped into lawyers firms and, like regular branding and even craft beer to a degree is there's a little bit, there's a little bit more opportunity to make a lot more money in craft beer than there is distilleries and pitching these ridiculous, I've seen some packages and I'm just pitching these ridiculous prices for these distilleries. I'm like, this package is 10, over 10% of the total opening cost for this small distillery that wants to open with for a quarter million dollars and the package is 30 grand. I'm like, I get it. Branding, logo design, all that sort of stuff. super important, mm-hmm. but <laughs> there's got to be a better way to create a long-term relationship with these restaurants and distilleries and stuff without just ripping their arms and legs off and beating them with them. Um, so that sort of came about with this sort of deficiency of inex- like expensive packages for these distilleries to sort of do. Um, then uh, Canadian bar store, which is my little online bar store drop shipping sort of deal um, came about because I was getting really tired of seeing super expensive bar tools online. And I'm like, I know where you guys are getting this from. Like this stuff is like this. I know it's not like you've got a factory of your own making it artisanally, which some, well, artisanally in the mass market. Like that, I know where you're sourcing all this stuff from. Like, so why are you jacking the price up to 40 bucks a bar spoon? Because 
as a bar man, if I'm a bar as a bar owner or a bar manager, if my bartender comes to me and goes, Hey, I want to buy all this stuff. I'm like, go to hell. I don't want you to buy all that stuff. That stuff's like it's 30 bucks a freaking Hawthorne strainer and 40 bucks a bar spoon. Like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? The first time I put that through the dishwasher, it's going to be completely ruined. <laughs> um, and so I sort of did this little, I did self-taught myself Shopify, self-taught myself um, Dropified and AliExpress and all those sort of things. And taught myself all that sort of stuff actually while I was in Singapore and um, launched it and it's done quite well. Um, then, oh man, it sounds so bad when I start li- listing off absolutely everything. <laughs> um, Coalition, Coalition Craft Co is um, my little distribution agency. I have a wonderful partner who's a young bartender who's at the stage in his life where he's getting a bit older and he sort of doesn't want to be working nights all the time. He wants to sort of step out and I'm all about enabling and helping um young bartenders make that that transition or that that jump staying in the hospitality industry but if you're not overly happy working five six nights a week behind the bar till one two o'clock in the morning in normal times then let's let's give you some so um i partnered up so i i 50 50 split with that with uh, coalition craft so that they make some good coin it's not like they make 25 percent of the 10 percent commission it's like split straight down the middle profits that's yours. That's mine. Let's let's work together. Um, so we distribute a few little small craft distilleries here on the island um, that we work with, and they're fantastic. Got great products and stuff. So really working with them, and it's been that one's been an interesting one for me because you start really learning about just retail and on premise and the, the the split and divide and the different dynamics of those sort of things. So a lot of the times, like a lot of people look at me and go. Oh, you've got everything figured out. You're like dialing this in. I'm like, dude, I do like 80 hours with a study before I launch this. Like I like research, 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 learn all everything. And then finally something I actually launched during uh, COVID was um, Acclamation, my media and marketing company. And that is, uh, that was, came about because a friend of mine who's in the online space, the, the PPC and the Facebook ads and stuff like that. We were chatting about distilleries and stuff like that. And when COVID hit, a lot of distilleries didn't have good e-commerce. And so it was a huge opportunity to sort of help these distilleries make uh, a little bit more money because a lot of them just never thought of it. They never saw it as a revenue stream. They, they were like, we've got good brand loyalty in the retail sector. We've got good brand loyalty in the OP. And we have people come to the distillery and, and do a tasting and take buy a whole bunch of stuff. We don't need to do online. And then all of a sudden everything shut down. And you're like, okay, well, you got to kind of do online now. And so we mm-hmm. help a lot of distilleries sort of get their e-commerce and online process mm. up and running much smoother so that they could actually tackle COVID a little bit better. I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'll be something else that pops up, <laughs> but um, I mean, it's incredible and you do so much stuff and, and a lot of it helps the industry massively. And what I like is you said you, you sort of find deficiencies or uh, opportunities and you, you kind of like pitch it to these businesses that need help. And uh, I also, one of the things I noted is it does take a hell of a lot of time to do a lot of these things. And some people don't realize, you know, like you mentioned, everyone says, oh, it's, uh, you've got everything sorted. Maybe uh, like for you, for me, I'm constantly learning still. I'm still putting in the hours every single day. I don't have a day off, but I don't mind that because I actually love what I do. Are, are you very similar? Yeah, and I think... Uh... A couple of years ago, I tried to be normal, I suppose. Um, I thought at the time, that's what my wife and my family wanted. My daughter was seven at the time. Um, I went back to school for my um, advanced diploma in hospitality and tourism management. And so I started trying to be this little normal guy, like five o'clock, done, shut it off. Like do the usual stuff that what I thought societal norms were. Um, And it actually put me into a massive fit of depression. Like it did not work with me. It was like bite into an apple and find a worm. It just did not sit with me in any way, shape or form. And I started thinking about it as like my normal and my wife even mentioned to me, she's like, I don't like having you around all the time. Like having you around all the time is super different and awkward. And it's not how our relationships mm-hmm. have been built for the last decade. And so I think self-awareness when it comes to that work-life balance, I feel like you're probably the same as like, my work-life balance is not going to be that next person's work-life balance. You know, like I don't take days off. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with sort of focusing and and chopping up my days. I schedule family time. You know, I schedule time that I spend time with my daughter. I spend time with my my wife. And um, I think that's 
where it comes is it's about the self-awareness about what makes you happy. And for me, working my ass off and like it's almost nine o'clock now here on a Saturday night and like working my ass off and putting in the hours is something that just, it makes me extremely happy and mm-hmm. um, it, it fulfills me and that makes me a happier person that my wife and my daughter, when they have time with me, it's quality time, just not quantity time. You know, people talk about work-life balance. I've got to spend time with the family. And they're like, yeah, but you're sitting on the couch on your phone. Your kid is on her iPad with her headphones in and your wife is watching a movie by herself. Like I don't, that's not quality family time for me. And so I, I, that big self-awareness moment was just like, you know what? I can't think that I'm going to be like anybody else. So I'm not like anybody else. So I can't think that I'm going to be like anybody else. And so I lent into exactly what makes me happy and working 80 to 100 hours a week does. That's great, man. Self-awareness is key to that. And I, uh, there's something else I wanted to kind of bring up as well. Um, a lot of people listening might think that you're, uh, you know, with all these different businesses, all, all this stuff you're doing, that you have massive teams and hundreds of people working for you. But I'm pretty sure it's not the case, right? <laughs> it's, it's very much not the case. Um, <laughs> yeah. I am I am one-man show. Apart from my partners in, like, I, my graphic designer partner in Human Construct, my partner in, in Acclamation, my partner in Coalition. Um, but overall, I am a one-man show. So... Mm-hmm. When you see my videos or any social media posts or TikToks now are a really big thing for me, which is really crazy weird that a 40-year-old dude's blowing up on TikTok. But, um, <laughs> it scares me. I, I, I just, I don't want to go into another social media channel. <laughs> it's like, I'm still trying to figure out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but I, I watched that one and it goes back to that 80 hours of research. I watched that one and I like, I watched and saw what people are doing. Then I researched, okay, what cocktails were getting made? What's going to resonate? Like me going, I think me going in hard and fast on um, doing my like entrepreneur stuff and my rah, 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 or my more hospitality advice stuff wouldn't have resonated. But I, my, my goal is like do cocktail videos, get them up to about 20, 25,000 followers and then start sliding in that stuff and start mm. working with that. And so, no, I don't have teams. Everything is, everything is edited by myself. I just teach myself video editing. I teach myself audio editing. Um, my phone is my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. My phone is my best friend in the world. The amount of apps you can have now, like I, I do Splice and Canva and absolutely everything. Um, I'm a Canva guru now. I love Canva. Yeah, <laughs> I so love Canva now. Yeah. Um, but this it, is, um, sorry, this is actually going to go into my next question, actually. I, okay. I want to know, like, um, I'm exactly the same. I do everything by myself, uh, from the production, the editing, uh, even Castronomy Lifestyle. I built the website, man. It just, I spent so many hours researching and learning, but I'm glad I did it. But what are the resources you use to build your brands to, to help you, I guess, navigate this business, uh, scale? You said you got a lot of apps. What, I what, I have, what ones do you use? I have apps that I like try out, I like burn through and then I mix. Mm. Like I'll burn through and find something that's uh, don't like that. As soon as I don't like one thing on an app, I don't compromise. It's just like, you're out. So that's why I like Splice. Um, I like Canva. Super simple, great stuff. You can animate. You can animate posts. There's just so much stuff you can do. So I really just bounce around like three or four apps to build stuff. Um, then obviously I've, got, I've only got one audio and I've only got one video. It would take a lot for me to leave my my video pad and my, my wave pad. Uh, editing on my computer. It would take a lot for that, for me to change that up. Um, Sean, no, one I, second, mate. I'm going to pause because I need to put my battery on charge again. <laughs> this, this happened last time as well. This is terrible, isn't it? Okay, one second. So unprofessional, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect, it's real. That's what people want to see. People want to see. Exactly. They want to hear and see reality. Um, Okay, where do we leave off? (laughs) Um, So, Splice, Canva, apps. Apps and whatnot. Uh, Social media apps, I use everyone, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, now TikTok, 
and now Clubhouse. We were talking about Clubhouse when we first got started. Like I'm still navigating Clubhouse, so I'm not going to put any like sort of sort of tick on Clubhouse yet. So it, it mm-hmm. looks cool. I'm seeing how that rolls out. Um, but no, I, I use all the platforms and post around about, I would say, total because I have six personal Instagram accounts. Um, I have, so I total about 50 to 60 pieces of content a day, day in, day out. I would say that's roughly, yeah, roughly that. That's insane. How do you, how do you manage that? I gotta get, I gotta get better at planning a little bit. Sometimes it's on the fly, like seriously, Mm. really on the fly. Like my BC spirits, my little passion project showcasing the craft distilleries, like BC spirit today. There's sometimes I'll wake up in the morning, like, ah, man, I gotta do that. What am I going to taste? And I've done... 300 and something episodes i've tasted 450 spirits last year or last 18 months and so i'm like now i like have to google so like youtube search and blog search to see if there's something on my shelves that i haven't tasted so i don't have to go out to a store and buy anything because i have Uh too much alcohol in my house right now well i know you've amassed quite an impressive collection because i asked you last time do you want to tell the audience how many bottles you have i have 450 bottles behind me so those shelves go all the way to the ground Four wow, shelves high, okay. three shelves deep, uh, three bottles deep. Well, they are 145 gins from across Canada. That's crazy, man. So, you should and, open a gin bar. <laughs> yeah, is and that's just purely. Um, I did a project with Fever Tree um, here in Canada last year, um, making doing craft spirit um, flavor wheels, and so mm. I got sent bottles and bottles of gin from all the distilleries across Canada to taste with Fever Tree tonics. Amazing, and it was a huge project. <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool man i mean um and you've amassed that yourself right mostly all these bottles yeah, over a long period of time the bottles that i've drunk and replaced <laughs> so what, what, what is your drink of choice what's your poison what do you go for bourbon yeah yep it's it's kind of weird people always think i'm going to be a gin tonic or a, a single malt sort of person i do like my single malts i always say i sell single malts but i drink bourbon mm. there's just something about bourbon Whichever like whichever house, there's no houses that I prefer. There's none that okay. I don't like. Um, bourbon is my, I would say, my drink of choice. I'm getting really into mictas right now. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah really I do good. a ten year old single barrel mictas, old fashioned at Clive's. Nice. Not cheap, but okay. that's what we, we we do. One of those as a as a yeah, fix. it's not cheap. That's for sure. It's <laughs> it's definitely more the luxury sort of. Uh, the it's branding. definitely a luxury old fashioned. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Um, Let's talk about more than um, your cocktail creations and stuff. What's your style of cocktails? Ooh, depends on the week. You know, I, I wrote Cocktail Culture in 2013. Um, I launched Great Northern Cocktails in 2018 or 2019. Um, so it's one of those ones that I, every time you're reading new recipes, you're like picking up new things and new stuff. And I've always been a bartender with a good, diverse, young team. And so that diversity and that youth, kids these days, I hate to say kids these days, but kids these days, access to knowledge and access to new techniques and all sorts of blows me away because I'll have a young bartender see an article on Punch or Liquor.com and bring it to me and go, I think we should try this out. And so it constantly evolves my style of drinking. Um, I've been big on highballs lately. I think the highball needs to bring it, make a big comeback. Whiskey highballs, I think. I think Japan, you've you've traveled, so like Japan has the whiskey highball culture like down pat, and I love the fact that they do that and the water is specifically paired to the whiskey. And I think it's just a two ingredient drink that like most like really good classic cocktails, it's only two or three ingredients, but you can completely butcher it real quick. And so the highball is just one of these drinks that I'm just like. Every single ingredient that goes in that has to be absolutely perfect for that drink, you know. So um, usually I'm I'm inclined to like spirit forward. Victoria is notorious for brown, bitter, and up. So it's just constant. Like that's what people like. Like that's what our clientele like. They like Boulevardiers, Old Pals, Negronis. Like the bitter, the more bitter the better. Like we sell tons of Malort. Like we sell tons of Malort in Victoria. Like we put a malt cocktail on the menu, it's going to be a seller, you know? So Fernet Brunk is huge. Like we just have a really good culture like that. So um, usually it is brown and heavy and, and bitter and complex and that sort of thing. 
but it really comes down to what we need for the menu. So me and me and my bartenders will go through and, and the staff as well. I'm like, what are we going to ask for? Where's that efficiencies in the menu? Like what are like, Oh, 21, 21st centuries are really popular. Awesome. Um, I hate making 21st centuries because our spec is with egg white. And so everybody drinks with egg white. And next thing you know, you have a table of six come in and they want six 24th centuries in the middle of a Friday right. rush and 21, 21st centuries and in the middle of a Friday rush. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a clarified milk punch 24th century with sparkle, po- like sparkle uh, dust from a baker's shop in there. And so it's bright pink. It sparkles and luges and it sells like hotcakes, but we're not, look, we're not dry shaking freaking a hundred 20, 21st centuries every night now. So, you know, we've got a couple of egg white cocktails on the menu. It's like, oh, we're going to have four 21st centuries, two tamarind sours, two Paddingtons. And you're like, great. I've got no tins to make all of these drinks. And dry <laughs> shake, dry shake, dry shake, wet shake, wet shake, wet shake. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so I made, I made, I make drinks that need to be put into a position. Mm. And actually, um, you also mentioned um, you're quite an accomplished author. You have quite a few books, right, man? <laughs> I've written books. I wouldn't say I'm accomplished in any way, shape, or form. Oh, come so on. <laughs> I put pen to paper. Accomplishments is a whole different ball game. Um, well, there's um, there's going to be links um, to all these books in the show notes for the audience, but um, what would you recommend to start with? What's your favorite book you wrote? Book I wrote? Oh, um, to be honest, I love the, the innocence of uh cocktail culture i know that sounds really weird for a cocktail book the innocence um but it was the very first book 2013 like we're talking seven years ago um our cocktail scene in victoria was great but you know you always look back you look at old gary reagan books you'll look at the old, old the other graph books like there is a certain level of like oh because we've just advanced so quickly like even dale groff's first book you're just like oh that's cute you still just put just like eyeball sugar and eyeball water in to make a sugar syrup. Like now Dave Arnold's made us weigh everything to the milligram and like all that sort of stuff. So there's sort of this sort of level of innocence. And I loved all the guys that are in the book. Um, some of them have completely blown up. Some of them we, we don't have any, we like, we're not, they're not with us anymore. Um, you know, Sam Kasuga is in my first book and now she's one of the head bartenders at dead rabbit in New York. And she's from Victoria, BC, you know, like that's just to me, just like this, this little tiny thing that I met in 2012, 2013, who worked at this great cocktail bar in Victoria, all of a sudden, like she's a dead rabbit and she's working with, with Sean and Jack, you know, which is just incredibly insane. And so I think cocktail culture is really nice because of the innocence, but great Northern cocktails takes that sort of, really focusing on the bartender, which I don't think a lot of cocktail books do. They focus on the cocktail and I want to focus on the story behind that cocktail. And then I put it across Canada. So 150 bartenders, which is like wrangling cats when you're writing a book, um, 150 bartenders from across the country put in recipes and told their stories and all that sort of stuff. So they both have their, their wonderful nuances. Um, and it's never been about my name's on the front front cover, but it's really about the bartenders and the people that are, inside the book for me i think um from what i've seen you're very proud of your area aren't you very proud of victoria canada and you do promote a lot of it even distillers in the area um yeah i'm proud of my country i know that i'm not canadian you can tell that i'm not canadian with my accent what what Um, gave it away (laughs) (laughs) so like victoria we're a city of a hundred thousand people you know um when i came there was no cocktail bars there was zero cocktail bars in victoria then one opened around 2008. My best friend, his place, his very first place, that opened. Sort of got the spark going. And then I took over Clive's in 2009 in May. By 2011 May, so two years later, we got our first top four nomination at Tails for the best hotel bar in the world against the Savoy and the Conort. Um, Clive's is still the only bar in Canada ever to get a top four spot in any category at Tails. Um, and that that's the amazing sort of thing like that sort of shows just what a small city cocktail scene can really do and what it can really accomplish. And I have great guests. Like we have ridiculously passionate guests that come to our industry seminars that like want to meet the brand ambassadors. And then Canada as a whole, I think we, every year when world's best, world's best uh, 50 comes out and all these sort of things, 
everybody in Canada goes, well, what about us? And I'm like, I get it. I feel you. I, I understand where you're coming from, but there's certain things you need to do. And people don't necessarily come to Canada the way they come to the US, the way they go to Bangkok, the way they go to Singapore, like the Southeast Asia sort of bar scene. They don't go like the same way they go to London. And so you need to really be aware of what it takes to make those steps happen to get that notoriety. And so for me, I'm happy to use my platform and that sort of thing to, to scream and shout and yell from the absolute rooftops, how amazing Canadian bartenders are and how amazing uh, the cocktail scene in Victoria is because we are a super small city. We've got a family. So like I just had a text from one of my kids and he wants to know about how pointers about uh, getting into world class and stuff like that. So for me, it's like, we have this sort of, I'm dad, I suppose. And everybody like, I call them my kids and we all catch up every now and then and we have coffee and we sit down and chat. And so I think there's a big family mentorship sort of mentality in the city. And I really love that. Brilliant. Well, hopefully one day I can visit uh, when the world's a bit more safer, uh, but I'd love to come for for one of those old fashions at Clive's. (laughs) So um, actually, yeah, this, this is great because um, obviously talking about your platform, uh, one of your biggest platforms, I guess, is the podcast. And uh, you mentioned Tales, but you've also been nominated uh, for a Tales Award, right? The show. I did get top 10 this year for a Tales Award as well for the podcast. Congrats, man. Kind of crazy and weird as well. Like that was, uh, I'm always, I'm always blessed. It still goes back to that 26 year old Australian kid who landed here. Like I still get, I just get blown away that anybody's sort of paying attention to what I'm doing. If, if mm-hmm. it's anything, like I think that's the, the thing is like I, you sort of get your blinkers on, you sort of get your blinders on, you just like nail away at what you're doing and achieving and all the stuff you're trying to achieve and all the work you've got. Um, so when you sort of get those little, those little bright days, spots, you're like, oh, who's, someone's paying attention to me? What's going on here? Yep. It, where, so let's let's uh, figure it out, man. Like, firstly, uh, where can we listen to the show? Secondly, tell us more about the show because I know there's actually quite a different, uh, there's a lot of different episodes, right, for, for anyone who wants to start. So um, you can pretty much get it on everything. I think I'm on 15 platforms. So pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get mine. Um, Great. So I always said that I was going to do my post shift shot, which is my Tuesday episode. Um, it's always me, usually on a bit of a rant. It's sort of me putting down my thoughts. Now I may have put those thoughts in, a, in an Instagram post or someone might have reached out to me on Instagram. Um, I think this week's episode, the, the five tips of social media marketing for restaurants, actually came from someone who commented on a, a post on Instagram that sort of was like, Oh, you know what? That's kind of cool. Let's do that. Um, and then Friday is always my guest. So Friday is always my big guest one. That's always my little bit of motivation from, for, for kids before, like before people go to work. That's what things was sort of on Friday, Tuesday, people have time to listen to it and maybe digest it. Whereas Friday sort of maybe driving them well, hopefully, Hopefully they're listening to it while they're driving their car and heading to work and they can sort of hear these stories. So I think, like you said, like when you, when you interview other people, it's so casual and laid back. And I think sometimes, and it happens in all industries, you put people on pedestals and then when you sort of see that they're just regular old people, you're just like, Oh, okay. That's a cool story. You know, like I interviewed Simon Ford and he talked about making the move from the Plymouth international brand ambassador, which was a huge role, like Pernod Ricard, the whole shebang to going out and launching his own spirit brand, because that's what you do when you seem to like from the outside looking in, you seem to be in a good place in your career. You know, everybody like looks and goes, Oh, I want to be like Simon Ford, or I want to be like Chris Patino or Philip Duff, but then they go and launch their own spirit brand and like talking about that entrepreneurial spirit and getting people understanding like this industry isn't just you being a bartender or you being a server or you being a restaurant manager or the, the, day in day out and i think i'm hoping that covid silver lining of it all is sort of open people's eyes up to what is doable and achievable in this industry in the sphere that we still love because we want to be people pleasers we want to be givers but in the macro so that's what the push of podcast sort of does is that i wanted to on one hand sort of inspire young bartenders which is part of my demo is like really young bartenders and then people more my age and then everybody in the middle who already know everything, they don't listen. Um, everything on either side. Um, so young bartenders who are just trying to get in and might be having struggles with 
mental health or something like that. It's that, that Tuesday episode might just tweak, tweak them. And then the Friday episode sort of really gets you a deep end dive to what it takes to be in this industry long-term, like the other girls have been doing it for 40 years. Like how do you keep getting up every morning and still being motivated and keep going and keep going and keep going. And so, yeah, the, the push of podcast is really a sort of multi-dimensional. I've, I've lent into entrepreneurship a little bit more just cause that's where my story is going. Um, and it took me a huge amount of time before I, like we said at the very start, like hospitality entrepreneur, it took me a huge amount of time before I said entrepreneur, I used to say hospitality businessman for years, for years and years. I'm, no, 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 I'm not an entrepreneur, hospitality businessman. Um, and then it's not so much cause it's got trendy is the reason why I didn't adapt it because it was so trendy that I'm like, you know what? Like there's not many people doing what I do. I am doing startups and I have got partners and I am trying to push the envelope. So maybe this term is good. And I like the hospitality entrepreneur term because I think in our industry to be classed as a hospitality entrepreneur, you obviously you open a restaurant and I'm like, well, that's not all the things you can do. There's so much more stuff. And I, I, I want people to sort of question that if they've been in the industry for 10 years, opening a bar and restaurant isn't the end game. There are stuff that you can do that may incorporate one of your other passions you know, and you can really work that in, you know, like if you're a graphic designer, like as a passion project, why would you not just start a branding agency? You know, mm-hmm. like there's tons of videos out there uh, instead of like going down this route, which is fine. Like go down the route of, oh, I've owned and opened re- tons of restaurants, but it's not the being an end all of the industry. Mm. And um, what would you recommend for people to start with the podcast? There are a couple of episodes. They, that stand out for you? Maybe more on the, the entrepreneurship side and the business side? I think the last two weeks, because I had sort of that, that Christmas gap, like Christmas, New Year's is really screwy this year with like Christmas, New Year's being on like that Thursday, Friday and everybody's like shutting down early and making my life hard when they're shutting down early. I'm like, you've still got two days worth of work. We can still work two days. But that Friday, that Friday sort of threw out that two weeks. So I would say the last, the last like four weeks worth of live streams and and episodes because I did a something I'm really pushing this year. Um, it's a mantra called focus, patience, success. And so I did three episodes, one on focus, one on patience, one on success. And so focus for me is staying the course, but like focus is goal setting. How do you set your goals? Um, like I'm even looking across my computer screen now, I got a big whiteboard with all my, all my notes for every single company that I got to do. I've got notepads, that sort of stuff. Patience is a difficult one for everybody in this day and age because of social media because they see something blow up and they're like, Oh, well that happened overnight. You're like, well, it didn't really happen overnight. You know, like that, that sort of didn't like, we were talking about my last book, great Northern cocktails. Everybody's like, Oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, that took me 12 publishers before one said yes. Like the 13th publisher said yes. That's the thing. It's um, I think when it comes to good business and like actually starting something your own, a lot of it is small incremental steps. Right. And, it's and like, that's, and that's what the thing with success was, is like success mm. is extremely personal. Success is what you define success as, whether it be more family time, the micro wins, like you were saying, like, I think with entrepreneurship, that's the big thing is like, you got to celebrate yeah. those little tiny wins like that. Yes. I just got a thousand listens on that episode for that podcast. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> um, you know, like those little micro wins, you got to celebrate those micro wins so that the yeah. macro wins feel even bigger. Because it's like little wins. I think that's what keeps going you every day. And I've been trying to be more mindful of that this year. That yes, there might be a day where I'm in the office for 12 hours, but there's got to be something micro along that line that put a smile on my face and that I should be happy about. Brilliant. Sean, we're going to wrap up really soon. I've just got a few more questions, mate. Um, this has been so such a good episode, really. Um, so much stuff to learn. But um, is there any other resources you recommend for bartenders or hospitality folk who are wanting to start their own business or side hustle? Research Google and Google and Google and Google. To be honest, like the thing is, like you YouTube it, you can find a ton of people. Um, the I did an actual side hustle seminar for the BCB this year. And it was kind of cool because someone mentioned it on Thirsty, the Thirsty discussion page on Facebook. And we're like, what are the seminars? And someone mentioned mine. And Donnie Ronan gave me some slack, but someone mentioned mine because I, I talked about side hustles. And if you just go and if you literally go to YouTube and say, how do I set up Shopify? Enter. It'll have a multiple videos and just mm-hmm. watch and watch and watch. And it comes back to some almost patience before goal setting. Like set your goals, but you're going to have to be patient to get to that goal because 
you you the knowledge and stuff. So I I would love to have like a whole bunch of cool websites and stuff to give you. But I honestly like <laughs> Google anything you want to learn. Like how do I set up a business account? How do I like just ask questions? And I think the biggest fear that we have as industry people is that we don't like asking for help. I think there's a mm. thread throughout mental health. Um, we're supposed to be self-sufficient. If it's a busy Friday night and you're, you've got a five table section, if a customer's not happy and the manager's not around, you got to deal with it. Ticket times along, you got to deal with it. Drinks aren't going out the right way. You got to deal with it. So we're this sort of self-sufficient people. So asking for help is really difficult. Um, over COVID, I think I had like at least a dozen conversations with people who were setting up podcasts. Like what, what, how should I, what should I do? And how should I do this? And how should I do that? And, how, and so mm-hmm. like, I'd give them my pointers, but at the end of the day, like just go and Google. I wish I had something cool. Like I really wish I had a cool answer for this because I feel so <laughs> lame. I feel absolutely so lame. Just going, go Google it. Um, no, yeah. I mean, cause I agree to a certain extent, like a lot of, you know, a lot of my stuff, I've done. I've just learned myself through online research, and, and it's uh, putting the time in, time and effort, and you read and you watch, and and you'll get there eventually. Yeah, and you know, sure. everybody has an idea, but research your idea, and then the execution is more important. Like, you know, like the idea is great, research how to do it, but if you still don't pull the trigger at the very end, like my biggest one during during COVID for side hustle seminar was um, people who draw like and do artwork. Like if there's, there's literally drop shipping websites that you can upload your artwork and your artwork can be put on canvases and shipped and you never have stock. You can sell the original, but a company will print it, ship it. And the same thing with t-shirts. If you want to start a t-shirt brand now, it literally costs you a hundred bucks, hundred bucks for Shopify, like hundred bucks for Shopify and Printify together, the monthly subscriptions, design some shirts, bing, bang, boom, you've got a shirt company. Like it really is super simple. And so research up as much as you can, Google it, see what other people are doing. There's a lot of times, I'm sure you did this when you were doing website, when you built rebuilding your website. Like I went and Googled all the websites that I would want my website to look like. And so oh, yeah, for sure. and pick off some stylings for that um, mm-hmm. and just keep researching. Like we're away from the books. Like you can research now in your, in your bed. Like you've got your smartphone, you can research everything in your bed and read articles. We're in a stage where you're not, you haven't got six books on your bedside table that you're trying to flick through and put notes and stuff in. You literally flick, 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 done. I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Sean, thanks so much, mate. Um, last question, because I don't usually ask my guests, but um, but I think I will now because you asked me last time. What's your, what's your favorite bar in the world? You know, I've got different bars for different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. I'll give you my top three because they're different reasons. Sure thing. Old Man in Singapore was my my local. We talked about this in my episode. Like, that was my local yep. bar. I lived above it. Um, the funny story is I didn't know it existed there for a month my first time. Like, for a whole month, I didn't know it existed until one of my friends from Montreal who worked in Singapore was like, oh, yeah, you should go to Old Man. I'm like, where is it? It's like um, some such junk sack. I'm like, that's where I live. And he's like, go find the pineapple lantern. And so I pushed her. I'm like, Hey, it's like a Monday night. Um, I love um, Ulysses in Lisbon. It's, mm, uh, yeah. it's six feet by 10 feet. It's like tiny little space, 450 bottles. You stand in the, you stand in the lane way to drink beer. It's fantastic. You know, that's my two favorite bars. <laughs> they're my two favorite bars for different reasons. Brilliant. But my, like, I just love something that is, homely like i love fancy crazy ostentatious bars and stuff like that but those places that you can feel that you'd go for a beer if you lived in the city if you lived in the city what would be your local that's kind of what i always look for great sean it's been an absolute pleasure mate and i really do wish you all the best uh for 2021 and with all these amazing businesses you have uh thanks for coming on the show man no, thank you so much, man. It's, it's always nice to be interviewed instead of being the interviewer all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you're a natural, man. I was uh, I was not quite the same, so. <laughs> <laughs> you did thanks. great. <laughs> thanks once again, man. And uh, once again, for the audience, uh, all of Sean's amazing work, books, and resources will be in the show notes. So good luck, man, for 2021, yeah? Stay safe. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.